Walkers. Welcome to No Prize from God, episode 12. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downing. No Prize from God features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Our guest on this episode is Sister Kate of the Sisters of the Valley, also known as the Weed Nuns. The most important thing to understand before you listen to this episode is that this conversation with Sister Kate encompasses so much more than marijuana. Yes, the Sisters of the Valley make and sell cannabis-based products, specifically with an aim towards healing. The Sisterhood launched in 2015. While they are nuns, it's not a Catholic-based organization. They draw more from the practices of the Beguine Mothers, the spiritual women of the Middle Ages who are devoted to caring for the poor and the sick. Put simply, the Sisters of the Valley have a focus on service, activism, and spirituality. They put their prayer into their work and into their activism. They take six vows. Devotion, or service. Two, activism, dedication of time to local politics and local causes. Three, ecology, a commitment to reducing their footprint. Four, chastity, privatizing sexuality, keeping themselves covered out of respect for the work that they do. Five, obedience to moon cycles. And six, living simply, one bedroom, one car, one TV. Wealth goes to creating more jobs, more housing security, and more career paths for women. This might all sound complicated. It might might sound wild to you. But let me tell you, Sister Kate is funny, articulate, clever, cool. As you get into this episode, uh, you know, a few minutes in, you may think that you understand everything they're about. And, you know, you might think, I smoke weed or I don't smoke weed. And so therefore, this is relevant to me or not relevant to me. And let me just say, as someone who doesn't smoke weed, this conversation was absolutely fascinating. I'm a big fan of Sister Kate, and I have tremendous respect for what she's trying to do. I hope to pay a visit to the Sisters of the Valley at some point. Last summer, after a video went viral featuring the actress Aubrey Plaza smoking out with the Sisters of the Valley, they had a huge spike in membership requests, people trying to figure out how they could join the order or how they could start their own chapters or how they could build their own communities that would be similar to the Central Valley Sisterhood. So what you've heard about our order, what do you think? Could you be this? Could you do this? Could you? Yeah. I mean, oh, honestly, you'd be, <laughs> you'd be such I, a pretty, I honestly, you'd make such a pretty like, sister. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. Can I still be an actor? Yes, yes, oh, okay. of course. <laughs> I want to be a weed nun. Good, good. We'll make you a weed nun. Okay. <laughs> so here it is, my conversation with Sister Kate of Central Valley, California's Sisters of the Valley. This is No Prize from God. Still alive. 
so yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been fascinated by, uh, um, I've been fascinated, fascinated with what you, with what you guys do. Um, and I, and I should note that, uh, I am not a marijuana user myself. I'll just get that out of the way. I would imagine sometimes that's the, uh, motivation for <laughs> people wanting to learn more and talk about it, talk about it. Uh, I'm certainly not opposed and I, a full advocate of, of legalization, um, but I'm mostly just kind of interested in the overall thing. So um, just to get going a little bit, I understand you uh, were originally from Wisconsin. I uh, I grew up in Indiana myself, so I think we have that Midwestern Well, that, ex- that, ex- that explains why you don't use cannabis. <laughs> 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 I've, I've been to Indiana. Um, no, um, no, I want to just say that I'm glad that you actually say you don't smoke cannabis because... Uh, we're not just about cannabis. Our mission, our statement, what we're doing is so much bigger than cannabis. Cannabis just happens to be uh, the newest deregulating industry on the planet that the women have an opportunity to play in fairly, potentially. And also, uh, cannabis happens to be hemp which would save us from an ocean of swirling plastic if we chose to grow it and use it in place of Ziploc and non-biodegradable plastics. So it just happens that that's sort of the fuel to support us, but our mission is much bigger than just the cannabis plant. It's really a mission to create jobs and power women and to reconnect with our ancient ancestors uh, who were basically... Uh, murdered anybody who worshipped or associated Mother Earth with their spiritual practices was wiped out from natives here to our ancient mothers in Europe. So we we are working to re sort of reignite that consciousness. Yes, um, and I and I find all of that fascinating and and important work for sure. Um, and I'm curious, uh, it, could you tell me a little bit, educate me on the Beguines, the um, which I believe is the tradition yeah, yeah. that you're... I, I, find, I find out that we're all saying it wrong, typical Americans. But when I when I first started talking to the women about the big queens, that's, I said, I think we're saying it wrong. Recently, we had a hot shot British documentary team come over here. Um, and, of course, they went off and researched it. And the proper way to say it is beguines. So uh-huh. we're, we're, we're learning to say it properly. It's beguines. Um, but it, if you spelt it, you would think you're saying beguines. So I think we should be acceptable to to both. For, to for, forgiven for our Americanization a little bit. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. It's okay. I think we need to be okay. But essentially, it's like this. In the Middle Ages, starting as early as the 600s that we have evidence, so it probably goes back earlier than that. And our claim is that, yes, it goes back to forever. That forever since the beginning of time, when society and laws and government failed the people, the women would band and find solutions. That's our premise. So in the early, starting in the 600s, uh, there were these enclaves of women who dressed alike, lived together, worked together, prayed together. They farmed and they uh, had apartments inside the castle so they didn't exclude themselves like many monastic communities do they were about serving the people 
These were our begging foremothers. These were the foremothers to the Catholic nun. I believe personally that the whole Catholic nun order came out of the Inquisition and killing women who were smart and spiritually independent. Therefore, the only way they could survive, that essentially the birth of the Catholic nun order was a survival move for smart, independent women. And that, and so what we are doing is we are saying, come on, let's get real and look back at history. The slaughter of all uh, of all practices that bring Mother Earth into the formula, the elimination, the systematic elimination of that, has contributed to us fracking and plasticking and trashing our planet. And we can't anymore. We have to take a turn. So our spiritual practices are reflecting that turn. And we didn't create this. This is going on all over. We just plugged into what's a current, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're you're every bit as articulate and uh, uh, welcoming about all of this as I had anticipated. So I'm already... (laughs) I'm already having fun. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think and I, I'm, I got to I got to introduce you. I'll, I'll I'll shoot you an email with some links to it. But I, I the most recent guest that I just interviewed, um, a wonderful woman by the name of Karen Crisis, uh, who has just uh, she spent a bunch of time in Italy uh, researching the uh, tradition of uh, witches there, and uh, wrote a whole book about it. And um, she is a, a practicing witch herself. Um, and I think there's a lot of commonalities and crossovers in some of the things that you're talking about, particularly in the, the history side. I've always found it interesting from a theolog- theological standpoint, uh, you know, when you get this outright dismissal of a Mother Earth concept, when it's like, well, but the whole Abrahamic monotheistic God uh, that's sort of the, you know, the baseline uh conversation god that people in the west are talking about the concept that's a father sky so it's like well how do you think these concepts even developed you know it's like of course there was a mother earth and there was a father sky it doesn't make a lot of sense otherwise um especially when you're talking about creation and um you know children of god so to speak so and it gets into you know it's funny all the all the conversation in our culture right now about gender identity and when you really get into some of the language, even with Christianity and, and with a lot of spiritual practices and traditions, you know, it was a patriarchal society that was codifying and, uh, you know, doing the canonization of all of this stuff in these masculine terms. But when you get back to some of these ancient ancient languages and traditions, it was a lot of gender nonspecific language that just so happens it, we've all learned it the, exactly. the specific way. Exactly. And, and, and what's happened, what I call, and it's no offense to any of the men of Indiana or men anywhere, but I call it (laughs) white man culture because I went and spent time with the natives and, and white man culture and Christianity and the disrespect for women all goes together. I mean, one of the things I was told before I went down this uh, sacred mountain trip with, with one of the elders of the Yaki tribe was I will notice while I'm up there that if two or more women are gathered on the path and talking and and people come to walk down that path, they will go off the path and way around to not disturb the energies or focus of the women. Because if the women are talking, it is highly likely that they are healing and therefore they're doing God's work. And it's such 
an opposite approach to sort of the Judeo-Christian upbringing where uh, where the men will interrupt the women because the women have nothing important to add or say. So, And I was raised in that environment where men would walk in the room in a very Catholic family where if the women were talking, men would walk in and talk right over us, and that was okay. Women could never do that to men. So, yes, I think there's a strong tie between Christianity and sort of the shitting on women and the shitting on the planet. It, it all kind of goes together. And, and I'm sure you've heard this before. I didn't create it. What I set out to do was to unite women from, you know, around the world into something that's big and beautiful and has a little bit more political power so that we can help, uh, you know, take over the world. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, something that came to mind and i think it's because i literally just saw it last night but I, one of my favorite shows is uh, peaky blinders which is a, a bbc drama and it's set during uh, kind of post-world war one uh, in in england and in an episode that i just watched last night there was a scene where um two women walked into a pub and they were reminded by the barkeep that uh unaccompanied women weren't allowed in bars Right. <laughs> and it's you know, and and to hear that you know juxtaposed with uh, you know the picture you just painted of two women uh, talking on the trail and the energy that that creates, it it really does right. say it's a lot. It's an opposite thing, and we have to we have to reconnect the divine feminine to the planet and to our spirituality in order to get into this next stage that the planet's headed towards towards anyway all that trump is and all that all this noises and this robbery by the one percent and this victimization of the poor that's the last dying gasp of a paradigm that's on its way out mm. and so of course they're kicking and fighting and they're not going to let go easily but they're on their way out so we're entering a new paradigm we're entering you know a 200,000 year period of the divine feminine ruling the planet and we're, we have to be all about our nesting energies. And I think that the men, many of whom, you know, I actually think that the broken family and the high divorce rate was for a reason. It was to give us sons sympathetic to the single mother because our new generations, our millennials, and even the uh, men in their 40s, a good percentage of them have been raised by single mothers. And they're very sensitive. They end up being very sensitive to the needs of the women. I'm a man in my 40s who was raised by a single mother. <laughs> ding, there ding, ding. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, very insightful. I had, I had a dad who so you think, know, disappeared. I think we're on a, a planetary, we're on a planetary trajectory towards the divine feminine ruling, towards the women having more say and more, to, towards tilting the balance back now. We've suffered, we've been persecuted. In one of my recent readings at a moon ceremony, I was explaining how systematically for 300 years in, in every culture, uh, women, smart women and their men and their children were accused of witchcraft, 15% of the population over 300 years. So I said, what happens when you systematically wipe out the smartest and brightest of your women is you end up with uh, Harvey Weinstein and Kim Kardashian. Yeah. And that, and I believe that. So, so now we have to atone for that. And part of how we feel atoning for that is reconnecting to the beliefs and the belief systems and the practices that were brutally stamped out. You mentioned Harvey Weinstein and uh, and also talking about the election. And I'm reminded of 
two things that I've been thinking. This was something, you know, I mean, I, I can be cynical uh, at times, but my glass half full explanation that I was sort of providing to friends and loved ones around the time of the election was, you know, we've had so many steps forward of progressive and positive change, but particularly with uh, social issues, uh, that it, it only made sense that there would be this, exactly as you described that I was describing it in the same terms, sort of this last gasp of the previously dominant culture, yes. kind of kicking and screaming and clawing yes. to uh, yes. to hold on. Um, and, and that to me, yeah, is, is, is the explanation really for, uh, for what we're looking at. It, it's not that, it's not that nothing's changed. It's that everything's changed and that that's what's, you know, and, 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 and it, it is ugly and it is horrible, but in order from to keep from being depressed, I look at it like we got a front row seat at the best show on the planet in the last like 500 years. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. We're watching the old might is right paradigm paradigm die and we're watching it implode. We're watching the women rise up and the divine feminine rise up women who could like 20 years ago, it would be unheard of of a 60 year old woman to come out about a sexual assault that happened 40 years ago because everybody would just assume she lied. Guess what? No one assumes that anymore. They're listening to the women. The planet is listening to the women. Men are dropping like fleas for being leches. Uh, I'm sorry, Al Franken should not have had to resign. He is not uh, a sexual predator. But men are dropping, that our sexual predators are dropping off of TV programs and the women are running them, the news programs, and their opinion polls are going up. That's never happened before in history. Uh, history has been really mean and the public, we ourselves have been mean to women. We are actually calling ourselves on that kind of stuff in our own sisterhood where culturally we don't have the tools or the words to respect women leadership like we do men. And so now we have to find that again. It's not gone. It's just dormant. I, I you know, Rose McGowan has uh, has said she'll do the podcast. It's just a, a matter of scheduling, and I'm, uh, this this is even just reminding me of how uh, I've, I've got I've got to turn her on to what you're doing. <laughs> so, oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I feel like what's happening, uh, you know, with the Harvey Weinstein's and that. I mean, a lot of it is the light switch has been flipped on, and we're seeing all the roaches and they're scattering. And I think that's also. That explains, you know, the march in Charlottesville and um, and that sort of thing, too. I feel like, to put it in religious terms, what's happening in terms of the sexual harassment and sexual assault and so forth that we're seeing, uh, it's a reckoning. I feel like a, a reckoning is occurring where, uh, you know, some long overdue uh, punishment of sorts is coming out. And, you know, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Anna Marie Cox, uh, wrote this column for the Washington Post that was published this morning that was actually about Al Franken and whether or not he should resign. She's like, she's one of his constituents, uh, in addition to being a, you know, a pundit and culture commentator. And one of the things she pointed out, I'm paraphrasing, but, but she pointed out that, you know, these aren't death sentences that are being doled out to these men. You know, the idea of losing your $25 million a year TV job or not being able to produce films or, or even in Senator Franken's case of of resigning, uh, you know, we're not putting, you know, this complaint that you hear of, uh, 
well, everyone's being tried and convicted in the court of public opinion without due process. It's like, no one's, you know, they're not being sent to jail, let alone, you know, put out to know, the streets I to know, starve. I know, I know. You know? So I think, I know. I think there I, is something you know, to be I, said I there. Want, I want the women to be better than the men at this. That's all. And I yeah. don't want yeah. to be, I don't want to be hanging men. First of all, you cannot have men and women work together in a passionate high moving environment and not expect some sexual things to happen. It, that is ludicrous. So we have to educate the world. If we're going to switch the light on, let's switch all the lights on and let's do a little bit of just logic here about men and women and chemistry and working together for the same mission and what can really happen when grownups are together, which is one thing. And sexual predators who say you either get on your knees and do this or I'm going to ruin your career. Those are very, very, very different things. And if we're going to hold the men to a standard that we, the women, cannot stand to. Like, I'm sorry, I've told some very tasteless jokes in my life. And um, I've even played some drunken dart games that were like with obscene posters. So, I mean, I, I, we, we just have to be really, really careful here that we don't, um, uh, that we don't stop or try to resist what's natural and chemistry between men and women working on campaigns or putting on a play or whatever. When you get them together and you get them on a mission, chemistry is going to happen. Kisses are going to happen. More than kisses are going to happen. Flirting is going to happen. That is not the same as sexual predator. Yeah, there's so much nuance, and nuance is often a thing that, of course, gets lost in hyperbolic conversations about hot-button issues. Uh, you know, there's... Well, it just makes me sad because we have very few champions of the people in the White House, and Al Franken is one of them a champion of justice. So we've already got a casualty to the war. And again, I get what your what Anne Marie Cox is saying, that our ancestors suffered much worse. Our ancestors, our female ancestors were burned at the stake for anything inappropriate. So I get it, but I just want to be better. And we don't want to do, in, a, in the correction of this course, we want, don't want to have collateral damage. And, and a point that she made was that uh, you know, Al Franken could go away and reflect and become even, um, she was suggesting that he could become even an advocate and a voice for this yes, whole Me Too yes. movement. And she said, you know, if he resigns and, and uh, makes some changes and becomes a, a greater ally than even before, and he were to run again, I would vote for him. <laughs> and kind of what, what she was saying was, um, yeah, this idea that everyone needs to go away or that we're leveling the, right, the field right, or the, right saying right. Roy Moore is the same as, you know, Al Franken and this, you know, the, the singer Morrissey um, is in hot water and I don't know some of his fans are even publicly disavowing him. Uh, he, he was quoted as something that was construed as a defense of Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein. My personal take is I didn't, that wasn't my read on, on the quotes. It was maybe clumsily worded, but what he was saying was, uh, you know, he was talking about the danger of people who are just bad at flirting or bad at not to, not, by any, not to by any means say that's Kevin Spacey. Right. But but the but uh, awkward courtships. Um, They're a little autistic. They don't read the social clues. They don't right. get it. They're clumsy. Yes, that's funny. That is kind of funny. But 
there is some kind of truth to this. This is not an uncomplicated or unnuanced issue, but there are some things that are very simple. Harvey Weinstein, very simple. You're messing with women's careers in place of sexual favors. Mm -hmm. That's all not very nuanced to me. That's very simple. You're in power. You're requiring something of someone that they wouldn't ordinarily do. And it may, that may be, that is immoral, illegal, and unethical. That's all pretty simple stuff. It gets, it gets complicated when, you know, somebody grabs, you know, your bottom and then they think you wanted it and you didn't want it. And, and, you know, I think, to, I think one of the things that's going to lead us out of this darkness and this confusion and make it not complicated is our millennials. Cause our millennials really don't take up with any shit from anyone. And I love them for that. The girls are, I, I think what I, we were just saying at dinner the other night that in five years, those, girls are going to be looking at women at our age and asking us why we ever covered anything up like what's wrong with you they're not going to be able to relate to the sort of energy of of I can't call him on this because he's in power I don't think our young girls will be able to relate to that concept at all and that's a wonderful thing indeed and and, and you you brought up a, a very great point a little while ago also about um you know, the way that, that some women have been have been browbeaten by this culture to even sort of turn on other women where I, you know, I have I have a close, uh, close friend who's you know, a close female friend who's, um, you know, she has a law degree. Uh, she she runs a spectacular uh, yoga practice. She's very progressive. And she said to me, uh, you know, I mentioned to her that Rose McGowan was going to be coming on the podcast and how excited I am by that. And she said, well, uh you know, I think it's very convenient that Rose McGowan's become so outspoken because she took money from Harvey Weinstein and was happy to be quiet and let, uh, you know, countless more women be assaulted by him. And I just, you know, I'm, it's oh, <laughs> that I, that that sort of that purity and that that sort of eating of our own that happens. Um, that's something that's got to go away, too. You know, never mind the fact that somebody somebody like Rose McGowan was what she was 22 years old and getting bad advice from lawyers and, and and also was in a and was in a culture and a situation even different than right now where the her advisors were telling her nothing's ever gonna happen you're not gonna he's not gonna get arrested or lose his job or right. you know so right. yeah it, it's complicated like you said it, and and uh and yeah i think the more that this stuff uh, Wait, we're very conscious of that i'm very conscious of it i'm very conscious of the fact that Two things happen as we grow a business and as my hat as the chief of the business, when I'm wearing that hat, um, my staff holds me to a higher standard in how I speak to them than they would hold a man. And they expect me to be motherly sweet all the time. But if I was a man, they would not expect that. And I call them on that all the time. Like the the difference in standards between a woman and a man and and also, the, 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 what you just said, women, we have to learn to have each other's backs in. We have to learn to uh, respect each other, revere each other, hold each other up, and, and not have not this criticism. I was so angry at a group of women that attacked Mother Teresa for not doing enough. I'm like, okay, you guys are all over the line. Because who are we to say what her 
a giving and compassionate walk should look like. We all come to this earth plane and we, have, we get to choose the flavor and the style and the smell and the location of our walk. We get to choose all that. And so Mother Teresa chose to give her life to the sick in her way. And there were women who tore her down who felt like she didn't use her influence or her power in the right way. Yeah, that goes in the category of, you know, those people will never be satisfied with what you put before them. And you have to turn off that noise and continue on your walk. Yeah, I, I uh, something uh, Bill Maher said once on his program, the idea that uh, liberals and progressives um, are so concerned with making sure one little corner of the house is spotless while they'll let you know, dog shit be piled everywhere around them. And, uh, and that right. does, you know, yeah, the, the, the puritanical sort of, um, witch hunt, if you'll pardon the, the bad pun for this conversation. Right, right. Yeah, no, 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 exactly. Yeah. That's what it is. It's like to look for any weak, the whole cause is bad because they can find one little weakness somewhere. And that's ridiculous. And I don't, I don't want to work with those people. Who would want to work with those people? Yeah. So it's like, get out of my way and bring in the people, the troops that have vision, that have purpose, and realize that everything isn't a perfect walk. And when you said the thing about, uh, you know, being held to a different standard as a woman, as a as a boss, as a leader of a, a business and an organization, um, and and then you take that and extrapolate it into the creative arts when you start dealing with musicians and film directors, and um, right. then it's like, well. He's a genius, so you know you just kind of kind of put up with the 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 tantrum or the abusiveness or the and I think what we're seeing as part of this reckoning right now is people are going no uh, I think we can find geniuses who aren't also assholes like that can right. be a thing <laughs> and and how many right. and, how, and how many talented people did we never get to you know recognize or or see their work or meet. supported or explored right because they were edged out of the conversation by some, you know, tortured artist who was uh, kind of just a jerk. <laughs> um, right, right. So I'm really, uh, I, I want to get into, you know, I, I've seen you uh, describe yourself and the sisters um, as anarchists. And I'm, I'm curious, I think there's a lot of baggage, much like, you know, witch, <laughs> feminist, yes. uh, liberal, yes. like a lot of words. I think there's baggage that comes with that. Could you could you explain uh, for our listeners? Okay, so... A little bit about yes. that. So uh, we're, we're, we're kind of unlikely anarchists in that we believe in paying taxes, a lot of taxes. We believe in overpaying our taxes because Americans, our attitude is that Americans are acting like a conquered people towards their government. If the goal is to starve the government of tax money, then you are not working with your government. You are working against your government. So, and we feel that the problems with agricultural places that are starved for enlightenment is also because they are starved of tax monies. And so, so we pay federal taxes, state, two types of state tax, payroll tax, every possible tax that can be paid. Plus we pay and we pay willingly and happily. And we feel that as good business women, we have to engineer for that and account for that. And we try to pay almost all our taxes real time. So there's never a tax debt. So that doesn't sound like anarchist to anybody, I don't think. But where we are anarchists is we are uh, coming January 1st, we are operating a cannabis business for three years without local permission, without local licensing, without state licensing. So in that way, we are anarchists. But in that way, we are also inviting all the women of the world to be anarchists with us 
because all of the plants that we grow and the medicine we make won't get anyone high. It's essentially hemp that looks like cannabis where you let the colas grow and the greenery grow and it won't get anyone high. It's so more, there it, should, it's so more about the CBT than the THC, is that right? Yes, it happens to cure seizures and cancer and all kinds of things. According to other people, I'm not making this claim. FDA, if you're listening, we make no claims. <laughs> but um, it, uh, it happens to people say it cures their cancer. So it's kind of an important plant. It's kind of an intelligent plant and an important plant. And so we tell women everywhere to start growing it outside, inside, everywhere. Here, a couple of things will happen if they do that. If uh, people try to steal their plants, they won't get high. So they won't steal them twice. So we would fix the, the poverty problem, right? Because thieves don't want to go cure cancer. And if they do, wouldn't that be wonderful? So I call on all the women of the world to grow the strains that are healing strains and won't get anybody high because I don't think the laws were meant for this. The laws were meant for the stuff that gets you high. We're not playing with, selling, or working with the stuff that gets you high. So we've sort of taken an anarchist position that those laws don't apply to us. Mm, I love it. Uh, particularly if if the goods and services that you're producing are uh, intended for healing. <laughs> you know, I mean, what yes, could be they more? Are. Yes, you know, they are. That's, and, where, that's um, where it's the spirit of the law five, versus the letter of the law, right? Right, right, exactly. And nothing we sell or make do you smoke. So we have no smokable products. It's all tinctures and topical salves that 50% uh, of our sales is our topical salves that, that uh, we refer to as sort of the Burt's beeswax of the CBD industry because we never expected that to be so popular and we never expected that people would use it to replace their sleeping pills. I mean, who would think that they you'd rub a topical salve on your temples? To, not, to go to sleep at night and not take a sleeping pill. I wouldn't have thought of that. So when we put it out there, we did invite the public to help us investigate into what that topical salve would, would fix or would alleviate pain for. And we found out all kinds of things, diaper rash, earache, toothache, um, and, and especially the migraine prevention. We were going for uh, muscle and joint pain and fibromyalgia, which we we have tremendous number of test hundreds of testimonials on that. But we were surprised at the number of people who told us that they they put it behind their ears every morning to prevent migraines, or they rub it on their forehead at night to uh, go to sleep. Um, and so it's all it's very very interesting. We're very very lucky women to be playing with in such a sort of magical new world. Now I I would love to get into with you um, a little bit more about the beguines and I guess the and I guess the yes. begards and the. Uh, Yes. Know, these religious orders that were, I, I think it was Northern Europe, right? The quote unquote low countries. Um, I, yes. I, I would be not, not so much. Um, well, I mean, we can get into the, the historical side of it as much as you would like to, but I'm more, I'm more curious about the traditions and the, uh, you know, whether it's, it's the rituals or the, or the dress or the adopting of names like, you know, sister Kate, um, where, where that stuff sort of comes from, you know, how you're, how you're discovering it, how you're applying it to what uh, you're doing, you're doing now and, and that okay. sort of thing. 
Okay, so when I started this, or when this was an idea, like this, this, this order was born of the Occupy movement and my sister Occupy antics. And between 2011 and 2015, there was much discussion on what this would look like if I was lucky enough to found something, um, what it would look like. And so the idea is that the Beguines did not take any vows. But the Catholic nuns that came around in the 880s, they did take vows. Now, it's not surprising that the same time that you had the first Catholic order, you have the Gutenberg press being invented. So the first publishing of printed word and Gutenberg was an avid Catholic. So the first book ever published and for 100 years, the only book was the Bible. So you you have. Uh, a Franciscan monk, Order uh, uh, Dominic, uh, Saint Dominic, founded the first order of monks on a hillside, and he came from wealth. So he just bought a castle on a mountaintop. His sister, um, Scholastica, wanted to come with him and devote her life to Christianity, and he said, "No, this is only for men." So she bought her own mountaintop, and essentially, that was to me. That, that period of time, if you look at the Inquisition and what was going on, if you wanted to be a holy woman and you wanted to be left alone to study and ponder life, you that was the only choice. So the invention, Scholastica invented something that would fit the Christian church that would allow her to stay alive. And that required chastity. That, I mean, that required celibacy. But before that, we had our, our Beguine mothers who were more about women empowerment. They dress alike, they live together, work together, and prayed together, just like a, a Catholic nun eventually did. But they were about empowering the women. The women had their own quarters. The, the poor women housed together, but the wealthier women had their own houses, and they put their houses in circles for protection, but they believed in private property and private space and private choice and in wealth and in the women owning the businesses. That all stripped away with the Inquisition and the oncoming of the Catholic religion. So we're reaching back to when were women empowered. Uh, so where we are like them is that we do we are like the Catholic nuns and that we do take vows. We chose to take vows, but we don't take vows to an order. We take a vow of ecology and a vow of activism and a vow of chastity, which the vow of chastity has to do with dressing conservatively to, as a meditative practice of being in touch with our ancient mothers and to keeping in mind every moment of every day that we want our ancient mothers to be proud of the work we do. Um, so we have all this symbolism between our vows. But what I'm saying is that our big Gein mothers didn't take vows. They had men there sometimes. They could leave and get married and live with a man for a decade and come back. And they weren't empowered. There was no, they weren't stopped from doing that. It's the same with our vows. Our vows are not to me or to the order or to the sisters. Our vows are lifetime commitments to ecology and activism and organizing our lives by moon cycles. So there's no like, there's no like deity in there. Mm. Yeah. I, I, and, I, and I like the idea that, uh, you know, going back to something that could be dedicated to living together communally and uh you know observing these different I ideas and and shared practices but yeah not not being committed or or vowed to the the hierarchical structure of of an organization like a church um that's more right more sort of uh localized um, so what are some of the is there a 
you know, w- without a, a deity at the center of it, uh, certainly in, in terms of the Western uh, Judeo-Christian understanding of the deity, um, certainly I, it sounds to me like there is a spiritual component to the community that you've built. Am I, am oh, I, there's am a I strong, there, yes, there's a, you know, there's a strong spiritual component. We do the blessing of the hands, the blessing of the tools, the blessing of the packages, but uh, we're more likely to meditate than pray because everything we do and everything we structure is through the question is what is more empowering to the women? Meditation is more empowering than prayer. Prayer is like being a child and begging. Meditation is manifesting the powers you were born with. So uh, so we have a lot of both going on, actually, because I was sort of raised very strict Catholic and by nuns I adored. So I it's hard for me. It's easier for me to pray than to meditate. But the young girls, it's easier for them to meditate than to pray. We have the, we, it is very fun for us because we have this, for the first time in two, probably 1600 years, we have a generation or two of children who are not indoctrinated with any dogma. So to ask them to get in touch with what feels good and to go do research on YouTube and find us a chant and do this and do that, they're very open-minded. They're not as suppressed. The young girls are particularly starved to actually have this because They've never had it. They've never had any right. of it from the candle lights to the chanting and the scents, and they love it. So that's very fun. But as far as, yes, what we did is we looked at, there's two things that we look at to make our spiritual practices and our beliefs. My ancestors by blood, who are they, where they come from? That's where the begins come in. And the ancestors of the land that we are on, which happens to be uh, Mono, uh, was the area the natives called it, but it has, you know, all different tribes, Yaki and Ojibwa, all different tribes met here in the center valley. So what we did is we looked at the top like 12 beliefs of our Beguine ancestors and the top 12 beliefs of the Native Americans of this land. And where those beliefs overlapped in eight places, we said those are our eight core beliefs. Wow. And those start, those start with things like uh, both cultures practice rites to attune themselves with the natural rhythms of life forces marked by the phases of the moon and the seasonal quarters and cross quarters. That's us organizing our lives by moon cycle. Both of those cultures recognize that our human intelligence gives us a unique responsibility toward our environment. Mm. And both of those cultures seek to live in harmony with nature. So that's number two. Number three, and I'm only going to do three because I don't want to bore you with this. But number oh, three, but I'm far from that, bored. By the way, I'm 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 eating uh, proverbial popcorn. Was listening to this. <laughs> I'm, oh, okay. I'm right at my alley. So yeah, continue, continue. Okay, so and then number three is we demoted Creator God to number three, and we did this on purpose because we think people will walk over the sick and dying to get to church in time, and that is not the point of any religion. So three is. That, that both cultures acknowledge a depth of power far greater than that apparent to the average person, a creator, and a connectedness between the people themselves and with the planet. The indigenous tribes call that the great spirit or godfather. And so that, that is God. That is our belief in God and a creator God. But to us, that had to go to third place behind the planet and her people. And the organizing our lives by moon cycles, because all of that connects the planet to the people. So those are one and two, like Earth and God is number three, Creator God in our practices. I, I didn't lose you, did are I? You there? 
Oh, there you are. Yeah. No, so are I, you there? Yeah. I yeah. just took a break in case you wanted to interrupt or no. ask. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was, I was afraid. Um, no, I, I don't. I, I certainly don't want to interrupt at all. I, I could, I could, uh, I could. If you, if you ever give lectures, I could attend one and sit in quiet contemplation and listen. Um, okay. Well, I'll go. Do you want me to quickly skip through four, five, six, seven, and eight? Then I, I would actually love to hear what they are. Yeah. Okay, so four, number four is that uh, both cultures recognize both a spiritual world and a physical world, and that the in the interaction of these two worlds is the basis for paranormal phenomena and magical exercises. And so that's our fourth belief. The fifth is that both seek to control the forces within themselves that make life possible in order to live wisely and without harm to others and in harmony with nature. So that's sort of our self-improvement clause. Um, and both cultures practiced that and believed in that. And both So number six, both cultures are concerned always with the past, the present, and the future. And, and we try to practice that. Every moon ceremony incorporates begins with calling on our ancestors and ends with talking about preservation of the future for the generations to come. Number seven, both cultures, uh, um, both cultures eschew, I don't know any other way to say this, eschew or reject those who seek power through the suffering of others. And neither of the cultures believe in a Satan. And then the final one is that both cultures believe uh, treating people and their spiritual beliefs with respect but we have a caveat there. The only animosity held by both of these cultures towards Christianity or towards any other religion or philosophy of life is to the extent that those institutions have claimed to be the one and only way. So our caveat is that we have to respect all religions, but we don't have to respect religions that claim to be the one and only way to spirituality. Yeah, I think it's uh, that would fall into the category of we have to respect all beliefs, but we still have to reject white supremacy, and uh, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm with you. Uh, and that was that's ancient wisdom. That's ancient wisdom. That's our eight commandments. You know. So I'm um, I'm interested. Uh, probably more from a, a personal perspective, I suppose. Uh, uh, where do animals enter into this with, uh, with the ecological um, slant and the, the emphasis on justice and equality and, and fairness and all of that? Um, is, there a, is there an animal liberation component? Yeah, so I always tell people that I'm not really a farmer. I'm only here for the weed. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some total heavy truth to that because I'm not a farmer. I'm a city girl. I'm a business analyst. I've lived and worked in big cities all my life, but I'm on this farm because of the beliefs of this order and what we're trying to do. So the women, we're all kind of want to be vegans. And we're really bad at it. And I, I so I, I was just saying this morning that I can do without the meat, but I can't do without the cheese or the cream in my coffee. So um, we we try. We're trying to go more plant based in our diet. We're trying to go more uh, like uh, uh, reducing our footprint. That's part of our consciousness, part of our weekly meetings. But we are also very on the grid kind of uh, people. So we consume so much Wi-Fi here on this one acre farm. You wouldn't believe it. 
we we're over consumers of Wi-Fi and we're trying to be under consumers of plastic and meat. But, uh, you know, I, I would say we're not, uh, we've got a long way to go yet, but it's a journey and we're trying to do it in a, in a way that we don't give anybody a bad attitude that they want to stay on the journey and stay on the path. Yes, which it seems like is also uh, a paramount thing in your the overall practice that you've created. Even uh, even by uh, you know putting God at number three, as you as you mentioned, I think is probably bringing some folks closer to the concept of a God by even getting them in the door where they may have not have stepped inside if God was number one. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And exactly. I, we're trying to we're trying to bring back into the fold a lot of people that are missing spirituality. But don't, but can't align themselves with certain things, practices that have gone on, and we understand this is we consider ourselves spiritually to be a work in process. Well, as everyone should, and the the scariest thing, and I say this on the podcast all the time, I've learned is uh, is certainty. That's the I, I feel like certainty is the ultimate sin. Uh, when it comes to right. theology and and spirituality and, and any of these concepts, I mean, certainly I I, I do think there are values and truths and fundamentals that one could and should cling to. Uh, but beyond that, when it gets into the nuances of, of belief, uh, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be belief if we were absolutely certain of it. And it should always be evolving. Uh, I can tell you as someone who first became vegan in Indiana in 1990, uh, you have a way easier time now <laughs> in this yes, yes, day and age in, in, in California. So, uh, yeah, now you can uh, you can go into Starbucks and order almond milk in your coffee, whereas, you know, in 1990 in Indiana there was one health food store in the entire city. <laughs> it was, you know, in an old house with a slanted right. floor, um, and uh, yeah, it's right. uh, yeah, it, it, it is another it, it is a, right, a sign right, of right. optimism that people are going more and more plant based, and of course, as clearly you you already know and understand, and I'm happy to hear. Uh, what I and by the way, I was going to back off the topic if you if you didn't want to go down that road, but um, but certainly uh, how much animal agriculture influences oh, cli climate no. change and yeah, resources. No, and I don't I don't want to avoid that subject at all. I just want to say that uh, personally, I've always been very vegetarian. I mean, when I raised my children and my husband, we never had like red meat more than once or twice a month, and any meat more than once to one and a half times a week. So we weren't your typical people who had gotten to eating meat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner or white processed flour, cheese, and meat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. My, you know, I've always been more that way. I've just never been able to be very purist about it. And depending on the sisters that come and go and who's cooking and who's not, um, we go with the flow. Right now we are trying very hard to be more strict about vegetarianism. And we're trying to get better about all our and heart, more hardcore about our recycled practices and what we can do with some of uh, the plastic that we can do from a plastic crushing machine that we just got. So there's some like build our own build our own chapel out of plastic. We're trying to yeah. do some kind of creative scholarly projects through recycling. Incredible. Incredible. And we're also building a yurt and we're also building a yurt. We're also raising money. So www.gofundme.com forward slash Whedon. And if you give a $25 donation, you get a calendar from us, a Sisters of the Valley calendar, which you can't get anywhere else. Um, <laughs> and we're, bring, we're building a yurt for an ex-Catholic ex nun to come join us. So 
Um, we've got an ex-Catholic nun in North Carolina who wants to come join us. We just didn't have the housing for her. So we're raising the money to build a yurt to put her in. Nice. Very nice. Um, well, Sister Kate, uh, I could I could talk to you all day. <laughs> I, love, I, love, I, love, I love everything I'm hearing. Um, and uh, yeah, I think th- there's got to be something in there of uh, being raised in the Midwest. I also came from uh, my, my family's Irish Catholic on my dad's side and uh, Irish and Scottish and Presbyterian on my mom's side. And uh, yeah, I have that same sort of almost superstitious attachment to some of that Catholic framework while at the same time always being very iconoclastic and bucking against uh, yes. all the stuff that got attached to it yes. that's clearly wrong, you know, so. Yes, um, but our moon ceremonies, like every, uh, the way we're organized is our spiritual, like, gatherings, our new moons are for the women and full moons are for the tribe. So every full moon we have a feast, um, and it could, we might have the smallest feasts now is like 30 people and the largest we've had have been like 50 to 60 people, wow. but we have a dinner and then we have a fire circle set up outside with rings of benches and chairs around the fire circle. If it's too cold or bad, we, we will go into the Abbey and we don't like it in there because we have to organize it church style where people are in rows of chairs looking at us and we prefer the fire circle. Um, but our ceremonies are very laid out almost. They have a very Catholic feel to them. We have particular readings we do that are Mother Earth readings, that we do the same reading over and over, and the people say, uh, help us heal the people and our planet, Mother uh, Mother Goddess. And that's their response. So it's the we say, the crowd responds. We say, the crowd responds. We have certain prayers and things we do that are all about Mother Earth and the coming people. We use the almanac. But it's very ceremonial. There's incense. There's bells ringing between each segment. There's fire circles and fire dances. But it's very organized. And that is very much the Catholic influence because there are those ceremonies, those repeat words, those chants, those songs. It's soothing. And our group keeps growing and people keep coming from further and further because they find healing in the ceremony itself. And that is what I miss from Catholicism. And I think that's what a lot of people miss uh, from their spirituality. Well, I think this brings our conversation full circle as well, where, uh, you know, it, it, it it's all about balance. And I think in sort of rightly rejecting a lot of the historical injustices and bad theology of uh, bigger organized religion, you know, sometimes uh, people are throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And, and the idea that we need to do away with all forms of magic and, and mystery and divinity and uh, that that part of the human experience that I think is 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 no less essential than it's ever been, uh, you know, I think is doing a real disservice to, um, like you said, people that, you know, there's people who haven't been raised with any of it who are showing up going, wow, I, I didn't realize that I needed this. Uh, so long as it's in a, you know, a non-destructive uh safe and and welcoming environment as as all of those traditions once were <laughs> and were perverted right. along the exactly. way exactly exactly and so we're really uh we're really all just trying to reach back to sort of our pre-christian ancestors that were they maybe were superstitious we talk about that we don't we're we're women scholars the Beguines were scholarly 
And the Native American women were serious. They maybe didn't have the books and scholarly books like we did, but they were also scholarly in their own way, in studying the plants and the herbs and knowing the animals and knowing about tracking. So our ancestors were all scholarly and we're trying to be scholarly too. And we're trying to not be silly. Like we have children at our ceremonies and we have to make them understand that we're reaching back to our pre-Christian ancestors, but we also are not so silly that we don't realize they did some crazy stuff out of superstition, like praying extra hard all night to make sure that the winter's shorter. We So you know, we know better, right? We know we're not going to shrink the winter and we know we're not going to spread the nights, but they didn't. But this is all part of understanding who we are and, and getting to the core of, I think, what we're all here for is to understand basically what we're all here for. I love it. I love it. And uh, yeah, and I, I would say uh, one last thing that came to mind when you were talking about, uh, you know, going into the Abbey and having people sitting in chairs and kind of looking at you versus sitting in a circle. Um, I've had the opportunity to have some great discussions uh, with a couple of Quakers um, through doing this podcast. And apparently that's, uh, that's a big part of the Quaker tradition. They did away with that sitting in pews and staring forward and organize things in more of a more of a circle. Oh, I love it. And see, that's very, I think that's all just very ancient wisdom. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, Sister Kate, um, I hope we can keep in touch. And uh, yeah, like I said, I always. Yes, uh, maybe, uh, maybe, I don't know where you are exactly. Where are you based? I'm in uh, Orange County, California. So same state. Oh, well, but... you know what? If you ever get up here, you can't, you, you, if you go on 99 up the state, you can't, uh, we're not far off of 99, uh, about an, um, hour north of fresno so if you ever want to come visit our farm just shoot me an email okay oh perfect i would absolutely love to do that and uh, i've got i've got little ones my kids are uh yes bring your little ones bring your little ones we have little ones here every day because the people who work for us bring their children to work nice so and we're very children friendly thank you so much so thank you so much it was so nice talking to you and i look forward to meeting you likewise likewise thanks so much and uh, i'll talk to you soon okay all right okay bye. bye My thanks to Sister Kate of Sisters of the Valley. Find out more about Sisters of the Valley at sistersofcbd.com. You can also check out Kate's blog at cannabiskateincalifornia.blogspot.ca. And I believe there's a BBC documentary in the works about the Sisters of the Valley, which I look forward to seeing. Please, if you like what we're doing with the No Prize from God podcast, leave a review in iTunes. It's very easy. You can do it right from your phone. The more five-star ratings and reviews that we get, the higher the visibility for the podcast and the more people can discover it. You can find No Prize From God on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey, on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey.